This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the story of Pecos Bill, a hero from the United States. We'll learn what you should do if you meet a muscly, naked stranger who thinks they are a coyote. Invite them back home to run your business. And how successful parenting in the Old West included letting babies use knives as pacifiers. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's the Mongolian Death Worm. And if you can't guess from his name, he's not very friendly. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 75, Rider on the Storm. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's podcast is brought to you by LeVar Burton Reads. A lot of us, myself included, learn to love a good story by watching LeVar Burton, host of the wonderful TV show, Reading Rainbow. Although you might also know him from Star Trek The Next Generation. Anyway, LeVar has a new podcast that recreates the magic for grown-ups. You've probably heard of it. It's called LeVar Burton Reads. Each episode, LeVar picks one of his favorite short stories, like the great sci-fi story Kin by Bruce McAllister, and reads it to you. I think you'll really like it. But hey, you don't have to take my word for it, because you can subscribe for free on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This week, we're back in American folklore. The story of Pecos Bill. So you don't need to have heard the previous episode on Paul Bunyan, but if you have, you'll kind of understand the tradition of storytelling surrounding today's tale. The story of Pecos Bill is likely fake lore, meaning it was put down to paper by one author trying to pass it off as folklore. He was late to the game, and he wanted to cash in on the culture of nostalgia for the pioneer days and some manner of cultural roots. Paul Bunyan was blowing up in the wider U.S. culture at the time, so the author wanted to tell a story of another hero, Pecos Bill, but Bill wasn't from the vast, cold forests of the north, but rather the hot, sprawling expanse of West Texas. The wagons kicked up dust as they traveled across West Texas. They approached the Pecos River. Even though, from Oregon Trail, we all know fording the river is a great way to lose an ox or eight, they were going to do it. The mother and the father sat in the first wagon, with the supplies, while the second wagon, driven by the eldest child of 17 offspring, brought up the rear. Stuffed in a hot wagon with his 16 brothers and sisters, Bill was not having any fun. A four-year-old, he was trying to lay down and sleep along the backside of the wagon. It was open to allow some airflow, and Bill huddled there with his arms over his ears, trying to block out the noise of 16 other children fighting. Unfortunately, as they climbed the hill to go down the other side and approach the river, they hit a bump. And since Bill had his hands over his ears and wasn't bracing himself, he tumbled right out of the wagon and down the side of the hill, striking his head on a rock as he fell. With so many children aboard the wagon, no one saw Bill roll away. And no one who was sitting by Bill knew if he had left the wagon or just went to argue with the kids in the front of the wagon, as opposed to arguing with the kids in the back. Because of the dust, no one saw him rolling down the road and the wagons continued on. It was like Home Alone, except instead of being left in a well-stocked and moderately safe house as a teenager, the four-year-old was left to die in the desert. An hour or so later, Bill, up to his neck in sand, blinked awake to find something pulling on the collar of his shirt and growling. Bill turned and found himself staring straight into the eyes of a massive coyote 
trying to uproot him from the ground. To be fair though, he was four years old, so any coyote would have been a massive coyote to him. The coyote stopped when he saw Bill was moving. Oh, you're alive. How about that? Are you... Are you gonna eat me? Bill asked. Oh wait, coyotes are scavengers, and since I'm not dead, you probably don't want me anymore? The coyote sat back on his haunches and replied, Well, according to the completely anachronistic Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, we coyotes aren't technically scavengers. We're more so opportunists, meaning we'll eat whatever, dead or alive, as long as it's easy to get. But we're not averse to hunting our food if it's small and presents little danger. But since I can see you're getting out of the ground and are taller than me, I don't want to pick a fight with you, even though you're an injured four-year-old human. Wait, you all generally don't run around by yourselves this young. Don't you need, like, parents or something? Yeah, usually, Bill agreed, rubbing his head and freeing himself from the ground. But I just woke up here, and I have no idea where they are. The coyote paused there awkwardly, finally saying, Hey, so not all animals are as kind slash afraid of fighting a four-year-old as we coyotes. If the heat doesn't get you, a bear or a rattlesnake probably will. Humans are really bad at surviving on their own out here without all their stuff, and it being the early 1800s, they're kind of bad at surviving out here with all their stuff. Look, I don't mean to presume, but do you want to come with me? Live with the coyotes and learn our ways? Bill looked around, seeing the desert for miles in every direction with no sign of his family or any other human. Yeah, why not, he said, and started walking off with the old coyote. Hey kid, what's your name? The coyote asked. Uh, it's Bill. That's nice, the coyote said. I'm gonna call you Croppier. Bill shrugged. Hm, fair enough. I looked this up, and he called him Croppier because, to a coyote, it looked as if Bill's ears had been cropped. Also, the story moves on to calling him Croppier now, but because that gets confusing in a solely audio format, we're just gonna keep calling him Bill. To Bill's family's credit, they did notice that he was lost when they stopped for lunch a few hours later. Some of the older kids and the mom rode back to the last place he had been seen in the wagon, but by then he was long gone with the coyotes. They mourned their son and continued on, calling him Pecos Bill, because that was the last spot anyone had seen him alive. Bill learned that the coyote's name was Grandy, because he was the grandfather of all the coyotes in the world. As a quick note, we've talked about Coyote, the Native American trickster character, numerous times, and this is no way related to that character. The Native American folklore predates this Old West fake lore by hundreds of years. So maybe this is loosely based on the trickster, but these coyotes are largely straight shooting, serious coyotes, who are card-carrying members of coyote professional organizations, about which I am not joking. Bill grew up with the coyotes, and he eventually forgot his own language, turning instead to that of the wild, and more specifically, that of the coyote, which I'm told by the tales is much more grammatically correct than English. I'm not a linguist, but I imagine there are many issues behind that statement. Anyway, the coyotes taught him everything they knew, and he became not just a great coyote, but the greatest, surpassing Grandy in skill and might. Also, that's kind of not surprising. As a full-grown man, he'll be about seven to 10 times their body weight. Anyway. Grandy made all the animals swear not to hurt Bill, and all but two did. The bull rattlesnake and the wowzer, a cross between a mountain lion, a grizzly bear, and my nightmares. Cut to a training montage of Bill learning everything the coyotes had to teach him, from how to catch and eat rodents, 
to how to take down an antelope when hunting his pack. Though, as far as I can tell, that's not really in the coyote's skill set. He learned how to run and twist and hide in such a way as to evade his enemies and disappear completely in the wilderness. The coyotes also indoctrinated Bill with some pretty strong anti-human prejudices. Namely, they didn't call the humans humans, but inhumans because of their violence and disregard for the natural world, which, yeah, it's a little on the snout, but the root word of human is still positive in that situation, so I'm not sure what they were hoping to achieve. Time went on, and Bill grew up, becoming the greatest coyote, despite not actually being a coyote. As Bill became greater and greater, Grandy began to feel his age, until one day, he gave the other coyotes and Bill a sad look, and they all knew. Grandy left alone on that long, dark trail that had no turning. Bill got a little hard to handle after Grandy left, and the other coyotes began to wonder if it was a good idea letting this guy who was about four times their size and eight times heavier than them learn all their coyote secrets. He got all the best meat off the kills, got all the best places to sleep, and was generally a completely unwitting jerk. That is, until the day he met a member of the inhuman race. One day, Bill was hanging out with the prairie dogs, because they're cool guys, and he heard a horse off in the distance. He had heard horses before, so as he was chatting it up with Fillmore the prairie dog, he didn't even raise his head. But then, something wafted under his nose. In an instant, images from another life flooded in his mind, flashing one after another. He was packed into a house, that same smell coming from the device an older man was holding in his lips. He remembered that man's beard and a kind woman. He remembered sitting in the wagon and feeling hot and angry, just trying to find a space of his own. He remembered waking up in the desert, lost. For an instant, Bill remembered everything. He stood there in complete shock, while Fillmore the prairie dog wondered if he was even listening anymore. Finally, the creature gave up and fled the human, who was now fast approaching on the horse. Bill awakened from his memories to see the man staring down at him, gun across his lap, driving his carriage. For the guy driving the carriage, whose name was Chuck, Bill looked like the perfect specimen of humanity. One version actually compares him to Hercules, and that makes sense because Bill was also naked. The images that had flashed through Bill's mind were already fading like a dream after waking. Looking up at this creature, Bill knew, even though the memories of people were but a shadow in the back of his mind, that this was a member of the inhuman race. Wow, you look great. Chuck, the rider, said, and went on and on about Bill's suntan muscles and how he was the perfect human specimen, not knowing that that word would set Bill off. Inhuman, Bill corrected him. What's that now? Chuck asked. You said human, Bill said, but the word is inhuman. Oh, said Chuck. Well now, that's clever, I guess, but you realize you're a human, right? Inhuman. Bill repeated, and no, I'm a noble coyote. Luckily for all of us, this story is funny weird, and not dangerous weird, but if you meet a muscly stranger living naked in the wilderness who insists they are a coyote, let them continue thinking they're a coyote, and get out of there, Chuck countered. Okay. Real quickly, look at your hands. You mean my paws? Bill asked. Chuck groaned and rolled his eyes. Just look at them. Bill did and it completely blew his mind. Maybe it's an easy mistake to make that your hands aren't actually coyote paws, 
but Bill had made that mistake day in and day out for years upon years. All right, come here, said Chuck, motioning to the unclothed stranger. He led Bill to a nearby stream. There, look down, so we can end this conversation and move on. Bill peered into the water and registered his face for the first time in years. He was shocked to his core. Then he spun around to see the rider, Chuck's face pale and in shock. You, where did you get that? Chuck demanded, pointing to a star tattoo on Bill's shoulder. Bill shrugged, it had always been there. Chuck rolled up his sleeve to reveal a star on his own shoulder. Bill? What do you remember about the time before the coyotes? Chuck asked Bill after they both calmed down enough to talk. Bill, as it turned out, was Chuck's long lost brother. I remember a lot of bumping around in a hot wagon, the rich tobacco smell of a man with a rough face and a woman hitting a lot of people, Bill said. Oh yeah, mom. Mom was the best, Chuck said. Well, not the best, Bill said, gesturing to himself. I mean, I'm nearly 20 and wandering the wilderness naked after having been raised by coyotes. Seems like a misstep on the path to best mom ever. You know, look, there were 17 of us, Chuck said, and we were all crammed into the back of that wagon. You can't blame our parents that you couldn't stay in a wagon. Okay, I was four, Bill said, and if they couldn't keep track of 17 kids, then they shouldn't have had 17 kids. You know what? We're getting into the weeds here. Let's agree to disagree. Okay, here's an obvious question. Why do you think we're brothers? Oh, because of the star tattoos, Chuck said. Mom and dad were very smart. They knew the world was a big, tough place. So they put a contingency plan in place in the event that one of us ever fell out of a wagon while crossing a river in West Texas. Oh my gosh, they tattooed a four-year-old? Burst Bill, looking at his star tattoo. No, 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 don't be ridiculous, Chuck assured him. They tattooed us as newborns. Bill sat back and learned all about his mother and father. Because his mother was an amazing parent, Bill apparently cut his teeth, probably literally, on a bowie knife given to the mother by none other than Davy Crockett. Displaying the kind of casual racism that seems all too prevalent in these early US folktales, the mother decided that they must move when a foreigner settled within a 35 mile radius. The mother saying that the foreigner had moved into their backyard. The mother was also well known for beating up Native Americans with her broom if they approached. Who can really say why they were upset? Maybe it was because Bill's family settled in their land and then tried to violently keep them out of it. Maybe it was because Bill's family also claimed 35 mile long backyards. It's a mystery. The mother loved Bill though, and she never forgave herself for what happened at the Pecos River. They searched for hours and hours, and every time she heard a howl off in the distance, she thought about her little boy hobbling along the sands, hurt, bleeding, and dying. For her last words, she rejoiced that she would finally get to see her little Bill again. Chuck shared that their father was, while not completely incompetent, nowhere near as aggressive or ruthless as their mother, so he was therefore worthless. Bill had been sitting with rapt attention. The story of abusive abandonment had really changed his opinion of the inhuman race. He could see that he had a place among them. When Chuck asked Bill to return with him to his ranch to rejoin the world of the humans, it didn't take Bill much time to think about it. 
After Grandy died, Bill really didn't feel like he had a family. Maybe he should give the Inhumans a shot. The next couple weeks were different for Bill. But if he could quickly adapt to life among coyotes as a four-year-old, he could adapt to life among some moderately well-meaning cowboys. Except they weren't cowboys. Not in the way that we think of cowboys, anyway. Because their main way of capturing cattle and horses was to put a loop around some pond or something, hope for the cow to come by and take a drink, and then pull sharply to catch it. If this seems wildly inefficient, well, it was. Sometimes it would take one month just to capture a single horse or cow. You know that person who joins your office and thinks that all the problems are simple and that they can get them solved within the first week of working there, only to find that there was a reason those problems went unsolved for so long? Well, Bill was that new guy, except that he could actually solve the problems. Within an hour, he had invented lassoing cattle, so their capture process could be done in a matter of minutes instead of multiple weeks. It was the same way with branding. People didn't have any way to keep track of whose cows were whose, and since each one represented weeks of work, disputes would often end in death. Not so anymore. Bill invented burning initials into the animal's hide in an afternoon, so there will be no question of the owner. This whole bit we're going to skip over, about how Bill got to Chuck's ranch, and all the other cowboys, for some reason, distrusted the wild man, who insisted that he was a coyote wearing a dead man's clothes, that his coyote family scrounged up for him. They tried to scare him and play pranks on him, but since awesome Pecos Bill is awesome, he matched them turn for turn. And after the technological slash common sense advancements he brought to the ranch, they elected him their leader. Since it no longer took them weeks to procure a cow, they could have an incredible advantage over fellow ranchers. The knife to a gunfight analogy doesn't even begin to describe it. It will be like a tricycle versus a tank. But Bill, either because he had no conception of trade secrets, or because he liked the challenge, took off his shoes and ran on foot to all the ranches. Not just in Texas, but around the United States. With his coyote powers, he covered hundreds of miles in only a few days. And by the time he got back, he was ready for his next project. Lassoing Pegasus. We'll learn that Lassoing Pegasus is not really anything like what it sounds like, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. If you've listened to episode 34 with Bellerophon and Pegasus, this is not that Pegasus. This one does not have wings, but he's so frightening that the devil himself is scared of getting trampled. Oh, and in the Pecos Bill fake lore, the devil and the angel Gabriel hang out and own competing cattle ranches in a sitcom that needs to be greenlit immediately. Anyway, Bill heard about Pegasus from them and found the white horse. It, being extremely distrusting of inhumans, bounded off without warning. In a matter of three days, Pecos Bill chased Pegasus from Mexico to Canada and then back to the American Southwest. Every time he came close, Pegasus would just speed away again. Finally, Bill gave up. The Pegasus looked behind him to see, for the first time in three days, a canyon free of inhumans. Pegasus rested and sat down. That was when Bill knew that he had the horse. And he leapt down from the mountain above him. He landed on the horse and even though Pegasus bucked and fought, Bill had him at last. The horse screamed out that he'd rather die than serve an inhuman, and galloped toward a cliff. 
Whoa, 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 Bill corrected. Who are you calling an inhuman? Uh, you. You are the inhuman, said Pegasus. Oh, no, no, no. People keep making that mistake, but no. I'm actually a noble coyote, Bill said proudly. How do I know that I can trust you? Asked Pegasus. After all, Bill did look like, and actually was, a human. Uh, I'm talking to you, Bill said. I'm literally speaking the language of the animals. Oh, oh yeah. You do make a great point, Pegasus said. Your horse dialect is great, by the way. Oh my gosh, thank you, Bill said. Anyway, I was just into the challenge of catching you to prove to these two guys that I could do it. It's the devil and Gabriel. They own competing ranches. You can learn all about it and watch their hilarious hijinks, Sundays at 9 on ABC. Wow, Pegasus said. That sounds like it could be a breakout hit. Anyway, if you're not an inhuman, that changes everything. You are the only creature that's been able to catch me ever. And I could use a change of pace. I'd be up for coming along with you and being your horse, you know, if you're cool with it. Bill grinned. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, just one thing, though. Mind if I don't call you Pegasus? That's super misleading. You don't even have wings. Oh, sure, man. No problem. That's just what the Inhumans called me. Not Pegasus said. My given name is Jeremy. Oh, all right. I was thinking more along the lines of Widowmaker. Picos Bill said to Pegasus slash Jeremy the horse. Oh my goodness, yeah, I could really get into that. A thousand times yes, I love it, the horse said. Awesome, well, then you're the Widowmaker. Widowmaker slash Pegasus slash Jeremy then nuzzled close to Bill and whispered in his ear, I will obey you all of my days, coyote man. Bill took a step back. That's, that's a little weird, buddy. Like I said, I'm not an inhuman. We're just going to be cool best friends that help each other out. You're free to go whenever you want. I'll still obey you all of my days, Widowmaker said. All right, that's, that's cool, but you really don't have to. Can't stop me. We'll all die if we stay here, Moon Hennessy, one of the many named guys at Pecos Bill's camp yelled. The smoke was billowing up into the sky, and the fires would soon be upon them. If Bill can last the Rio Grande, he can stop this wildfire, Chuck said. If my brother says he can do something, he can do it. Pecos Bill came riding by and screamed, I can't do it! We have to go! And sped away in terror. There had been a drought in the area and Bill had been resorting to lassoing a portion of the Rio Grande, the river that now serves as the natural boundary between the U.S. and Mexico, each morning so that the cows and horses could drink. Yep, Pecos Bill was so good at lassoing stuff that he could even lasso water. Seeing as it was so dry out, it was only a matter of time until lightning strike hit and set it all ablaze. As they looked out on the wall of fire approaching their ranch, they knew that not even Pecos Bill could lasso enough water to save them now. They built a backfire, Basically, it seems like a controlled pre-burn to hopefully slow the advance of the blaze and plan to drive the cattle and the horses east. Bill rode by again, shouting for them to get their horses. And not to worry, he had lassoed all the cattle with a single rope, because who needs physics? And he was going to drive them himself. They just had to get out of there. For days, they rode, until finally outrunning the wildfire. By the end of it all, they were exhausted and covered in ash, having rode their horses and cattle ragged. After that... They returned and took in the devastation. It was bad, but nothing that couldn't be rebuilt. They had found one of Paul Bunyan's abandoned bunkhouses from back when the lumber industry was booming in southwest Texas, and they had built it into a new ranch. Now, they would have to rebuild, but they could. 
Everyone was safe, and they hadn't lost a single head of cattle. Then, Chuck looked up in the sky in dismay. To the east, it was black. Lightning struck, and the sound of a locomotive filled their ears. A tornado was coming. The men despaired. Even Pecos Bill saw the twister and ran in the opposite direction. They had barely survived the fire, and now a tornado would surely do them in. Some prayed, some swore, all knew that they had no hope. That is, all except for Pecos Bill. The famed and feared cowboy turned and ran, straight to Widowmaker. His fellow cowboys and ranchers saw him gallop off toward the twister in the distance, toward the lightning and debris and destruction. They yelled for him to turn back. He couldn't beat a twister. It was madness. But Bill couldn't hear them. He put a knife in his teeth and clutched something in his left hand as he climbed atop his saddle. Widowmaker galloping, Bill twirled the lasso over his head as he stood upon the horse's back. Right before he disappeared into the dust cloud, all the men saw Bill get sucked into the twister. Bill disappeared, and then it was sunny. The storm cleared instantly, and they could all see Widowmaker standing there. Alone and just as confused as they were, the men knew the truth. They knew that Pecos Bill was dead. If only he had waited one last moment. If only he hadn't been so stupid as to rush headlong and think he could lasso a tornado, Bill would still be alive. The men silently mourned for their friend and leader and scattered in every direction to look for his body. But they wouldn't find his body. It wasn't that Bill was sucked into the tornado right before it dissipated, but that the tornado had disappeared because Bill had lassoed it. They wouldn't find the body because Bill was still alive. Bill was riding the tornado. Rocks and rain stung Bill's face as he clung to the tornado. He had looped it, and the twister, never having been lassoed before, didn't wait around to see what other new life experiences were in store. It took off, and in an instant, was hundreds of miles away, taking the storm with it. The tornado grew and grew, trying to rid Bill from its back, but Bill, who could lasso entire herds at once, and also rivers, held on tightly. It threw mountains and trees at him, but still, Bill held on. It dumped a torrent of rain on him, to the point that it created the entire Grand Canyon, instantly. Now, before you say, Jason, that's ridiculous. That's not how erosion works. The Grand Canyon is millions of years old. Well, I have to say that that's a nice theory, but then why was the first photo of the Grand Canyon only taken in 1872? It could be because photography was invented in the 1820s and the Grand Canyon is actually a result of millions of years of erosion or because a twister was trying to get a guy off its back and did all that erosion in an afternoon. Let's just agree that both are equally likely scenarios and move on. Free of the water, the tornado grew and grew until it was high in the sky. Bill, frigid, looked down and considered jumping. Sure, it was thousands of feet and he would break every bone in his body but he had no doubt in his ability to regrow his entire skeleton, Wolverine style. Still, regrowing bones and probably most of your organs and circulatory system took time, and he was eager to get back to the ranch. Those men were his family, and he had done all of this for them. His hands frigid. He knew he couldn't hold on much longer. They had just passed over some mountains, and Bill looked down and saw what looked like a soft spot of sand. He didn't know if he would have another opportunity like this. He said a short prayer, 
and let go of his rope. The storm pelted him with hail and rain as he plummeted toward the earth. As the sand rose up to meet him, Pecos Bill winced and braced for impact. He hit, and everything was silent. Pecos Bill was in immense pain, but he rose to his feet. Seeing as he could rise to his feet, he was happy he wouldn't have to regrow a new skeleton, but squinting in the intense sun, he had no idea where he was. He was in the center of a large crater, one that was made by him plummeting toward the earth. Years on, it would come to be known as Death Valley. Bill took one step and found that his boot didn't come with him. It was shredded from his days atop the twister. The rest of his clothes were no better. Even though a blade in your mouth seems like it would be something you'll remember, Bill only just realized it was there and he took it out. Before he had left the ranch, he grabbed a big hunting knife and a $20 gold piece. There was nothing he couldn't survive without a knife to hunt and a little bit of money. But well, they had been changed by the tornado too. The $20 gold piece had literally been turned into change. It was now two half dollars and a plug nickel. The knife was no better. Instead of a big hunting knife, it was a pearl-handled letter opener. Bill sighed and then laughed. Naked, alone, and hundreds of miles from home without any supplies, he was right back where he started when Chuck had found him. He could already feel his old coyote ways returning as he kicked off the last of his boots and clothes and began running up the outside of the crater. He was hundreds of miles from home with no idea how to get there. But he was Pecos Bill. He didn't have setbacks, only adventures. That's it for Pecos Bill for now. There are many, many more stories about the famed cowboy, and I promise I'll get to them in time, but I find that a little bit of Bill goes a long way. Next week, we're telling the story of Atalanta, and we'll touch on the real-life Amazons, the group of warrior women that fought Hercules, threatened the Argonauts, and very, 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 very loosely inspired Wonder Woman. I want to say thanks to Aw G, Sastin898, Budabellis, Delilah1863, The Yorkshire Man. Derek One, Joe McClinton, Artist with Macabre Fixation, Travel Puzzler, Geeky07, Jaja Banks, Lens2015, Zero Three Thryan, Will Do Tricks for Cake, and one that's just a monkey emoji and a skull emoji. For the reviews on Apple Podcasts, thank you all so much. I can't express how grateful I am that you listen to the show and take time to review it. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is the best place, and you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of the no phone, a phone that includes no screen, no music, no camera, and no actual phone parts, you get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that, sadly, you cannot listen to on your no phone. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Mongolian death worm. It's a worm from the Gobi Desert in Mongolia, and it's fairly fond of death. It's a sandworm, and though depictions of it vary, it's probably not a dune-sized giant sandworm. It's probably just the size of your arm, so you couldn't hook it and ride it to the deep desert to foment a rebellion against an unjust galactic empire. Sorry about that. What it lacks in size, it makes up for in, well, everything else. They don't make great pets because they secrete and spit gobs of poison. It's a powerful yellow neurotoxin that's not only toxic to your neuros, but corrodes metal. 
I'm recording this mid-July, and in case you were going to go roll the dice with some extreme sandworm petting this weekend, it's not a great time. The poison is most potent in June. You're going to want to wait until December, when it's at its weakest. If you're strong, you might survive the poison attack in December. Of course, you still have an angry, hungry worm coming toward you that can swim in sand, so don't consider yourself that lucky. Oh, and it could also shoot lightning from its skin. It's said to have the power to electrocute and mostly cook a horse with one shock. So this December, if you like your horse meat medium rare and don't mind spending a few weeks in the hospital after getting a face full of neurotoxin, well, it might be a good time to go looking for the Mongolian death worm in the Gobi Desert. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this week. Loot Crate has an epic range of pop culture items, all for less than $20 a month. July's Loot Crate theme is animation, featuring items from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Bob's Burgers, Futurama, and Rick and Morty. One lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate of seriously epic proportions. Subscribe to the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to receive this month's crate. Go to lootcrate.com slash legends and enter my code legends to save $3 off any new subscription today. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and edited by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.